I love our church. Come on. Hey, if we've never met before, my name is Taylor Hunt, and I get to work with our middle school and high school students here at Mission, uh, and they uh, lovingly like to call me Ed Sheeran, uh, Ron Weasley, and Taylor Swift, so... They're so great, let me tell you. Uh, but man, whether you are here in the room, out in the lobby, on the patio, or tuning in online, man, it is just good to be together as we talk about what makes us us. You know, that's when we've been in this series over the past couple weeks. We're just looking at five of the values that make mission what it is. Like whenever we think of us as a church, like this is the kind of stuff that like this is us. And so if you have missed a single week in this series, make sure you go back to the app or check it out online and make sure you watch and catch up all of the previous weeks. Uh, but today I'm excited because we are talking about throwing great parties. And there is no better way to talk about the parties than with the Romero brothers being here today, which is just awesome. Uh, but in uh, December 17th, 1927, I was not born, I know, surprising, shocking to you. Uh, but there was a submarine, the USS-4, that was conducting routine speed and maneuverability tests below the surface of the water off of the coast of Massachusetts. And after they had finished all of these tests, the submarine was making its way back up to the surface. And when it breached the top of the water, it was actually hit by a U.S. Coast Guard destroyer. And the collision punctured two holes in the side of the submarine, and the the submarine began to fill with water. And so the crew panicked and they began to try to regain control of the sinking sub. And so they rushed into the engine room, but the engine room filled up quickly with water. They ran into the control room and the water started to creep in and the lights went dark. And then the, the ship and its 40 crew members slowly began to sink over 100 feet into the freezing cold pitch black water until it rested on the ocean floor. Well, up on the surface, the U.S. Coast Guard destroyer radioed for help. They called in a rescue mission, and because of some weather circumstances, it took 24 hours to, for divers to make it onto the scene. And so when they finally made it down to the submarine, to the ship, to this wreckage, as divers got closer and closer to the ship, they heard this tapping noise. And as they got closer, they realized that it was Morse code. And from inside of this sunken ship, there were six survivors, and they were tapping out, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Man, what a powerful question. Is there any hope? What a haunting question. Is there any hope? What a question that, man, all of us have asked from time to time. Is there any hope? You know, we are a people that are hardwired for hope. We are hardwired to put our hope somewhere in someone or something. And we have all asked from time to time, is there any hope? I mean, we have all looked for something, for help, for life change, for joy, for meaning. And we will put our hope in someone or something. I mean, have you guys seen the Barbie movie recently that came out? Any of you guys see the Barbie movie? Um, well, I don't know if you know this, but after the Barbie movie came out, there was actually a 400% increase in men going to get Botox, 
which came to be known as Brotox, because all of these men were wanting to look just like Ryan Gosling in his portrayal of Ken. Uh, There was a study that came out earlier this month that found that millennials, my age group of people, will spend an average of $2,670 per year on beauty and anti-aging products, that Gen Z spends a little over $2,000 on beauty products, that Gen X spends $1,500 a year on beauty products, and that baby booners spend $494 on beauty projects. And what does that tell you? That boomers, I think, you know, you could just uh, put in a little bit more effort. Um, No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But man, so many of us, we put our hope in our appearance. And is there really any hope in that? You know, some of us, we put our hope in our money. And we think if we can live in the right neighborhood, if we can drive the right car, if we can invest in the right stocks, then everything will be all right. But in our current culture of the disappearing middle class, of the rise of the upper and lower classes, the rising cost of living, that's not really working out so well for many of us. You know, some of us, we look to politics or position, status, likes, followers, relationships. And let's be real, none of this is where we find real hope, real life, real celebration, real meaning. Instead, when we look out at our world today, we see division, racism, sexism, debt, isolation, anxiety, epidemic, and you got to wonder... Is there any hope? And unfortunately, when you look at the state of the church today, it doesn't always paint a much better picture. You know, a large study came out that said that there are more people leaving the church today than that came to the church in the first and second great awakening in all of the Billy Graham crusades combined. Over 40 million Americans. You know, 84% of young non-Christians say they know a Christian personally, and only 15% say the lifestyle of those believers are noticeably different in a good way. A similar study found that the top three words that non-Christians would use to describe Christians today were words like hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous. That the top three words that other religions would use to describe Christians today were words like judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous. And so often the church is known more what we're against than what we're for. And all the while, Christians use these words to describe themselves, giving, compassionate, and loving. And there's some sort of disconnect between the way that we see ourselves and the way that the world sees us. And so people don't always look to the church for hope. And today we are more divided economically, politically, racially, socially, and religiously than ever before. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) But this is why we are saying in this series that we are not just called to be people of hope, but we are called to be bringers of hope. That we bring practical help, intangible hope to our city, to our schools. That the church as Jesus intended was meant to be good news for our city, good news for the poor, good news for the rich, good news for the black, the white, the brown, good news for men and women, good news for OGs and wannabes, good news to people counting days clean and people on parole. Good news to the moral elite, the moral screw-ups, and the moral failures. Good news for anyone and everyone because we have a good news God that sent his son for us all. And here's the crazy thing. Man, when we read through the pages of scripture, when you read through the story of God's people, almost every time God rescues them from a situation that seems hopeless. Almost every time he pulls his people out of darkness. Almost every time when it seems like someone has breathed their last breath. Do you know what God tells his people to do? 
He tells them, I want you to throw a party. See, after the Exodus, when God had rescued the Israelites out of slavery from the Egyptians, he made it a law that their new life of freedom would be marked with parties. You know what slaves never do? Throw or attend a party. And now they were gonna do it seven times throughout the year. And these seven different feasts, these seven different parties would be a marker throughout their actual everyday life along with a weekly Sabbath to remind them of this good news experience from their good news God. Check out what it says in Deuteronomy 14. God actually commanded his people to take 10% of their money and hold a giant party every year where everyone was invited. And it says in verse 26, God says, spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. Some of you are like, I'm going to memorize this verse, all right? <laughs> And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. I mean, you think you've been to some ragers. Imagine taking the national 10% of everyone's gross income and then throwing a party. Like that would be one heck of a party. Whenever David, uh, King David, made Jerusalem the capital city of God's nation, his son Solomon constructed the temple, temple there, and then Jerusalem became known as the city of our festivals. It was known as the party city because God's presence was there in such a special way. There are around uh, 87 references to fasting in the Bible, abstaining from food, but there are over 244 references to feasting and celebrating. I mean, the Bible has more feasting than fasting because we are good news people. Jesus actually said about himself that the son of man came eating and drinking, and he was accused by the religious elite, his enemies, of being a drunk and a glutton. Not because he was, but because he was always going to a party because he was a friend of tax collector and sinners. You know, one of my favorite movies growing up uh, was this movie called Hot Rod. And have you guys ever seen this before starring Andy Samberg? And I love this movie because it is just so quotable. Uh, and one of my favorite lines of the movie, uh, Rod Kimball, the main character, he introduces himself and he says, my name is Rod and I like to party. <laughs> And I'm just saying, I think Jesus would say, my name is Jesus, and I like to party. I mean, the very first miracle that we read about in the Gospel of John is Jesus turning water into wine. And it wasn't on accident, all right? He wasn't trying to be like, here's some sweet tea. Oh, shoot, wine came out. No, this was a preview of coming attractions. See, miracles are not just tricks. They actually point to what God's kingdom will be like. And in this first one, we see that Jesus turns a mediocre party into a great party. And let me be clear, all right, this is not the type of partying that you see in the movies, you know, like Project X, The Hangover, Wedding Crashers. Uh, this is not the type of partying like some of us maybe did in college or some of us maybe did last night. Uh, this is not a party of excess, but a party of accessing God's goodness. Not a party where we try to forget all of our problems, but where we remember God's faithfulness. Not a partying where we indulge our every wants and desires, where we indulge our flesh, but where we indulge our spirit. See, parties might just need to be the latest addition in your routine of like spiritual disciplines, you know, things that help you connect with God. Because through parties, you don't just, you know, know like that God is good, but you actually taste and see that God is good. And that knowledge moves from your head to your eyes to your taste buds, down your gullet and into your belly. And then you know that God is good. And see, parties not only show us what God is like, but they show us what his kingdom 
is like. And unfortunately, parties got hijacked in Jesus' day. And so one day, Jesus is actually attending a party um, at the house of a Pharisee. And this was no well-intended, hey, come over, let's just grab, you know, a bite to eat or whatever kind of party. No, this was a trap, all right? Every time Jesus is invited to a party at a Pharisee's house in Luke's gospel and his biography of Jesus, it is always a trap that is being set to be sprung on Jesus. And it says this in chapter 14. It says, when Jesus noticed that all who came to the dinner party were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat, and then you will be embarrassed, and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table, and then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. And then you will be honored in front of all of the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, in Jesus' day, there was a pecking order at play in the seating order. And social climbers, they would actually use parties for their own self-interest to gain and to climb higher and higher on the social ladder. And they would actually put their hope in climbing up to the top rung of the social ladder. And one of my uh, friends and a teaching mentor, a guy who teaches here from time to time, a guy named Mike Bro, he illustrated this pecking order one time using a ladder, where in this Roman-dominated society, at the very top of the ladder were the royals. And so these people were like the emperors of the day, and they actually laid claim to deity. They thought that they were gods. And then right below the royals, we actually have the senate. And this is a group of about 600 wealthy men who uh, made most of the decisions of the day at that time in Rome. It was kind of an all-boys club. And can you imagine living in a time and a place where a bunch of wealthy men make most of the decisions for your country? I just can't even imagine what that would be like. Uh, And then underneath the Senate, we have the equestrians. And anybody have any guesses what the equestrian class, what animal they were known for? Any guesses? Dogs, ostriches? No, no, that's not it. Uh, It's horses. And so these guys, they would buy and sell horses, the latest trade, the newest mode of transportation. They sold these studs, these stallions. So if you wanted the latest and greatest Mustang Mach-E, you would go see one of these guys, and they would hook you right up. And there was a lot of prestige in being a part of the equestrians. And isn't it kind of funny that people would attach social status to a mode of transportation? I mean, again, can you imagine living in a country where people were held in higher regard because they had a nicer, fancier, cooler, electric way to get around better than their neighbor did? I mean, I just can't even imagine what that would be like. And see, these top three categories were known as the patricians. These were the upper class, and only 2% of the population uh, lived in this class. And then came the rest, who were known as the plebeians. And there were, in the plebeians class, there were the citizens. And so these were Roman citizens. And if you were a Roman citizen, you had the same rights as the upper class. Uh, You had right to due process. You had the right to a fair trial. You could own land. You couldn't be punished um, unfairly. Uh, But you had the same rights, but you didn't have the same perks and privileges as the upper class. But not so with these bottom classes. Because below the citizens, there were the freedmen. And they lived in the country. They were immigrants and foreigners. And they were around, but they had no rights. 
And this group included the Jews who lived in the Roman Empire. And the Jewish people of the day had their very own pecking order. Like, we might not be citizens, but at least we aren't like those stinking inbred, backwoods, Samaritans. Am I right? I mean, what good can come from Samaria? Again, can you imagine living in a society where worth is based and assigned on nationality, race, skin color, or heritage? I don't even know what that would be like. And can anybody guess who occupied the bottom rung on the ladder? Any guesses? That's right. It was the slaves. And slaves were people who were not only not free, they had absolutely no rights. They weren't even considered people. They were considered property. They didn't have a say in anything. And a slave could only do two things back in this day, obey and serve, obey and serve. And in Jesus' day, in that culture, the pursuit of uh, this ladder had a definite link to life satisfaction. And the goal was to get to the top and push everyone down the bottom. And people would kill themselves thinking, man, if I could just get up a rung, then I'd be somebody. If I could just make my way up a little bit higher, then I would be satisfied. And the Romans actually had a name for their ladder climbing ways. It was called the Cursus Honororum, or the Race for Honor. And today, you know, we call it the cursus ratus or the rat race. And it would take a person a long time to climb up the ladder, but they could come down the ladder in a single moment. And the Romans had a word to describe people who lost their status, who lost their wealth, who lost their position and their privilege. And when you translate that word into English, it's the word that we use for humility. See, humility in their eyes was not a virtue. It was an absolute tragedy. And every social function that you went to reinforced this race for honor. You know, at the Colosseum, in the arenas, in box offices, everyone had their own tickets that was based on this status. There were the luxury boxes, the corporate box office, there were the season ticket holders, the general admission, there was the student section in the end zone saying, ah. Uh, There was the people who had to tailgate outside of the Colosseum and could just hear the roar of the crowd. And when you went to these events, it wasn't just your mode of transportation you had parked outside that reflected your status. It was actually the clothes that you wore that reflected your status on this ladder. And if you were a toga in that day, you were not just a frat guy like an animal house yelling, toga, toga, toga. See, only Roman citizens and up could wear togas. And only certain people could wear certain togas with different colors woven into the threads. And clothing status was such a big deal that the people down here on the lower rung who couldn't afford, you know, the name brand stuff, They were actually called the personas mediocribus, or the mediocre, the less than. And if you had a dinner party, the person with your most status sat at the meal to your right, and the person with the least amount of status sat to your left. And even in the synagogues, the churches of the day, the social order was in play, and important people sat on benches all around. Uh, The people sat in chief seats. Some people sat on the floor in the dirt. And then the speaker of the day sat in the seat of honor. And again... Can you imagine living in a society where some people saw other people as less than? Can you imagine going to a school where things like your clothes, your sneakers actually mattered? Can you imagine living in a society where titles and tickets and seats and how nice your stuff was determined your worth as a person? That would be crazy, right? 
And people would actually kill themselves trying to make their way up this ladder. In fact, this ladder is what got Jesus killed. Like the Jews did not hand him over to be crucified because he just walked around saying, love everybody and was a really cool dude. He was killed because he toppled over this social ladder. It was such a big deal in Jesus's day that that is why the Pharisees were pitted against him because he stole their honor. And Jesus is saying, the rest of the world may kill themselves climbing up this ladder. They may use and abuse and neglect other people. They may power up. They may climb on top of each other and claw their way to the top, but not so with you. There is no hope from climbing up this ladder. See, humility is not a tragic fall. It is the beginning of the true rise to greatness. You know, I love this song, this hymn that came out of the early church. And it was written down by a church planner named Paul in the book of Philippians. And it goes like this. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. He got down off the ladder in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every name should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is good news. Jesus shows us that if our lives are all about me and mine, if our lives are all about climbing our way to the top of this ladder, then there really is no hope. See, if we're all about ourselves, there is no hope. But what I am learning is if that I will humble myself, if I will make my way down the ladder, he will lift me up and I will experience life that is truly full. See, at that dinner party, then Jesus turned and he said to the host, the next time you put on a dinner, the next time you throw a party, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who return the favor. Don't just invite the people that are higher on the ladder than you. Don't invite the people that you can get something from. Don't invite the people that will make you look good. Invite some people who never get invited out. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the overlooked in your society, the under-celebrated among you, the people who have been wrongfully put on the bottom rung, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. And when you do this, you will be and experience a blessing. And they won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. See, Jesus is saying, when you throw a party, it will actually turn barriers to bridges. Because we remember that the God who descended down the ladder, who put on flesh and abolished the barrier of sin that, so that we could be set free, that we are those party people. And when we throw a party and the un, the cel, the, we celebrate the under-celebrated and when we connect the unconnected, the world watches and they go, that's where I can put my hope. See, the crazy thing is when we throw great parties, we actually receive the blessing. 
And this is why we throw the best party in all of Ventura County through Night to Remember. This is why I am so pumped that we have the opportunity today to raise $40,000 to help throw this party, which is just insane. This is why we spend months of planning and preparing so that way we can shine a spotlight on other people, so that way we can give the watching world a snapshot of God's party, of his kingdom coming to earth. I mean, rather than me just trying to put that into words, why don't you check out this video? Hi there, my name's John Lloyd, and I've been coming to this wonderful night to remember for two years. I used to be uh, shy at proms or at dance events because they didn't really have people that I could associate or, or socialize with that didn't understand me that well. Autism gives me unlimited energy that is people think it's just think it's a curse or something but I consider it I'm able to focus more actually because I have a lot of energy and I can do more drawings and things and you know I actually have you know a lot more energy than I would have if I was normally you know night to remember is something unique done by real individuals that have the passion to for autistic or any kids who have disabilities that are unable to attend proms. It can allow diversity instead of turning away those who need, who need just a chance to shine. My favorite part, to be honest, of Night to Remember is when I first arrive in that limousine and walk up. It feels like I'm at a movie premiere or something like that. It's something I've only dreamed about where people get to cheer my name and I get to walk down the red carpet. Just to see a dream of mine fulfilled like that, I never thought it would come true. I thought dreams were just, you know, simply that. But dreams can come true, actually. No matter what people say, just believe in yourself is all well, the most fun is getting to meet new people and getting to enjoy myself and actually let loose. <laughs> Not foot loose. <laughs> the night is wonderful and it is very great. I sometimes get nervous on the dance floor. But if I could make a suggestion, more classic tunes. Like what? Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe Johnny Be Good? It's like whenever I ask for my favorite Disney songs, they play a bad version done by Hilary Duff or something. When I ask for the Tiki Room, I ask for 1963, not the Hilary Duff. <laughs> I hope you all enjoy Night to Remember. I sure am. I'm, I'm excited for the dances, the limos, the, the cheering, and the people there. So, and all I had to say is good night, everybody. Man, you want to know what the church is supposed to be about? I'll see you at the fairgrounds on March 8th. You want to know what God is like? Show up to the fairgrounds at March 8th. You want to know what the church is supposed to be, how God minted it for us to be at our best? Man, be at the fairgrounds on March 8th. See, in this world where so many people are asking, is there really any hope? You could see an event like this and be like, couldn't a party really make a difference? You know, I love in 1 Corinthians where it says, the message of the cross, 
the cross, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And God made the wisdom of this world look foolish. And Jesus climbed down the ladder so that way he could tear the ladder down. So that way we would not be divided by the walls of politics, of likes, of looks, of money. But so that we, there would be no more division, no more strife, no more social barriers, no more pecking order. Because we have a good news God and we are all invited to his party. And the world is watching they are waiting to see if they can put our hope in our God. They are waiting to see what he is like. They are dying to know, is there any hope? And when we celebrate the under-celebrated, when we shine a spotlight to other people, when the world sees us throw parties where we don't give, get something in return, but where we give ourselves away, man, that's when they know that they can be in. That there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. That rich or poor, black, white, Jew, Samaritan, six-pack or two-liter or six-pack, we are all invited to the party. Man, liberal, conservative, young, old, Raiders fans, Rams fans, ah. People kicking it on the avenue, people slumming it on Pierpont, CEOs and GEDs, Oxnard, Wainimi, Caramarillo, soccer moms, single dads, firefighters, farmers, bus boys, bus drivers, sinners, saints, ain'ts. We are all invited to God's party, and that is good news. And this is us, good news people with a good news God, and we throw great parties so that way people know that there really is hope. Man, would you pray with me? God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you have rescued us, that God, you have saved us. God, we thank you that you moved toward us when we were in the midst of our mess. God, we thank you that you put down your deity and divinity so that way you could come down the ladder and you could be near to us. And God, we thank you that we get to join in your party of inviting a watching world to be a part of the good news that you came to bring. And so God, I pray that you would help us to continue to throw great parties, to celebrate the under-celebrated. God, would you help us to continue to shine a spotlight on people that are overlooked? Would you help us to know that life isn't about climbing to the top rung, but it's actually about serving you? And so God, would you just help us to live a faithful, humble life where we just follow after you? And man, God, we just thank you that you are a good news God and that we get to be a good news people because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.